Welcome, everybody, to Emmaus Way. If you don't already know me, my name is Ben. I'm on staff here along with Molly and Rhody and Elizabeth, and we're glad you're here. We have just finished up a long summer of talking about God according to a bunch of different sources and had great conversations and been excited to extend those out from Sunday night. And we are starting a brand new thing tonight for the fall um, in this, yeah, before the beginning of all things sort of weekend. Uh, And yeah, to start us off on that journey today, we have a prayer for all things rising that is by no means by James Cone. That's my error. (laughs) And it's in fact by Jan Richardson, but it is still uh, a very good thing to start our hearts and minds on this new journey of bearing witness this fall. For all things rising, out of the hiddenness of shadows, out of the weight of despair, out of the brokenness of pain, out of the constrictions of compliance, out of the rigidity of stereotypes, out of the prison of prejudice, for all things rising into life, into hope, into healing, into power, into freedom, into justice, we pray, O God, for all things rising. Amen. So, um, among the things that are rising this year are a number of our kids who are going to school. But we're going to pray for them in just a second. But as we always do and continue to do, and we've done all summer with this song, we're going to have Rhody lead us in the community song. And Rhody, the kids this week are learning a new community song, which they will introduce to us. Excellent. Rudy and kids, and you're going to lead us in this prayer, I hope. Yeah, yeah. Ed. I hope. So we said. <laughs> I hope. All right, friends. Um, I thought this we could um, pray for and bless our kids. Hey, so do you want to come up here, or do you want to sit? Up to you. Um, so if you all could read the bold, that would be great. Um, there's also two moments where it says allow time for individual response um, that you all can voice joys from this summer um, or happy things that you have done um, and moments to share laments for the summer and things that um, we that were hard this summer. Um, you don't have to reply uh, audibly, but um, there will be a few moments there. So let us pray together. God of creativity and curiosity and learning, we know the blessings the new school year will bring have been growing all summer.
kids on in summer and learning to name you and see you and discover you at work in a way that that journey has led us as well. But we also know that life has gone on this summer and many, us, many of us feel exhausted before the school year has even started. We lament the ways we do not feel rested and the ways that this has been a hard season, especially in these ways. God, help us to welcome this next season of school, remembering that we are creative because you were first creative, curious because you are curious, and learners because you have taught us. We pray for open minds, generous spirits, We are thankful for the students, teachers, bus drivers, administrators, janitors, chefs, and staff who will keep our children watched over and looked after, who create spaces of safety and creativity for our children to grow. And most especially, we pray for Azalea, Anna, Ada, Everett, Miles, preschool. Give them gifts of friendship and warmth, mystery and evidence, bravery and inclusion. We pray that they will grow in their own unique gifts and interests and that they will become more fully themselves this year. In the name of the gracious one, the God of all seasons. Thanks to Rhody for crafting that and kids for being with us and now there's a water balloon fight that I believe may about to take place. So as our kids celebrate a water balloon fight, or sorry, the end of summer with a water balloon fight, um, yeah, we're just getting started tonight into what is a fall six weeks or so on the general topic of tables and tables we find in scripture and how they reflect on our open table, but also in a really broader way, a theme that we are expecting to take us through the year, um, which we're calling bearing witness and reclaiming kinship. And you'll hear a lot more about that tonight. But just to sort of mark that in a year sense and in a fall sense, yeah, we've reached both of those milestone rhythms again. Um, in terms of announcements, things happening, I have one specific thing in mind, which is to just, I'll reflect that it was, what, maybe a couple weeks ago, almost a couple weeks ago, that we were here in this space for the first Music in the Basement that Emmaus Way generously out of our arts fund helped to sponsor. 
I can tell you it was way more of a thing than I was anticipating it to be. It was fabulous. Um, the musicians were great. We probably saw 40 or 50 people through the night. There were probably 20, 30 people sitting around enjoying music the whole time we were here. It was black, white, young, old, queer, straight. It, it was a beautiful space. So you, Emmaus Way, have created a beautiful thing in this, maybe sooner and, and more beautifully than we expected. And so with that in mind, I invite you, this is going to be a monthly practice. We've sort of laid out to say we'll help seed these first three months as Calvary, who's our partner in this, is figuring out funding and how to, how to ground this in their own um, church polity and experience. But really invite you to come out and be part of that. Um, Neil and Marie are here, but they were here. If you need someone to evangelize you, I'm happy to do it, but I think Neil and Marie would be glad to as well. And they're going to be now on the third Monday of every month. We had a musician switcheroo such that that's what it's going to be. But the 17th of September, in this space at 7 o'clock, come and enjoy the thing that your artistic investment, Emmaus Way, has helped to create. It was really beautiful. All right. Well, with that, I'm going to invite Suze up. She's brought her church band back, I think, like the last... There's at least three occasions now when she's brought this precise ensemble and we're getting to know them and love them. And this, I think, yeah, Suze can tell you more about it. I'm excited about this set list. It's not so often that we have one that's just as on the nose for the topic as it is tonight, so, woo. I don't wanna give John Prine too much preamble, uh, but we chose, we tried to choose songs uh, from people, from poets in the world who are uh, are talking about witness and are talking about uh, telling the truth and are talking about uh, in this third song we'll sing a little bit about uh, how we partner in bearing witness and in telling the truth. Religion loses vision 
chose his wife and family The providence he brought to bear They raised their glasses in his honor Although this union made him share Just my job, he said, I'm sorry And draws the jackals home to eat But at night he tells his woman I know I hide behind the walls She says, you're only taking orders That's how every empire falls Whoa. 
This third song I've been working on Ben for a long time <laughs> to get it. Finally found a home for Would You Come With Me. Uh, and yeah, as I said, this is, uh, we also wanted to acknowledge that in a conversation about bearing witness, a conversation about that sort of faithfulness that we don't do it alone and that it is kind of a scary thing um, and that we do kind of have to agree to support each other in that work. So this is one of my favorites. You got a hun cap on, you're up at dawn with me. But we don't shoot a deer, we just sit right here and sing. And we've been up all night, our eyes are tired, but now there's light enough to see. So if I leave right now, would you come with me? I had this sadness creeping like vines over me. I didn't get what I want, so I just took what wanted me. And I was making bad bets when the odds look good. You gotta play the hand you see. So if I leave right now, would you come with me? I think I could leave right now if you'd come with me. I got this friend, she doesn't like to fly But that don't bother her none, no, she's taking trips all the time And I wish I was that friend flying away But I got my feet on the ground So if I leave right now would you come with me? I swear I would leave right now If you'd come with me I swear I would leave right now Leave right now, leave right now Leave right now, leave right now Leave right now, leave right now I would leave right now If you'd come with me Thanks so much, Suze and band. Um, as been mentioned, and hopefully you all are aware, if you receive the social or the weekly, um, we're doing something a bit different um, for Emmaus Way for this kind of coming school year. 
and having an overarching theme, bearing witness, reclaiming kinship, um, that will inform the life of our community, our Sunday gatherings, as well as lots of different ways to engage in bearing witness and reclaiming kinship outside of this space. Um, Tonight, I am going to kind of share how we got, how I got to this point, um, and wanting and feeling like this was an apt theme for our community with dialogue for you all. But before we get to that, we're going to pass the piece. One more thing I forgot. Part of that, the first practice outside of Sundays we're engaging in are um, table groups. You should have, if you consider Emmaus Way, your community received an email, a phone call, some form of communication from someone inviting you to a table group to meet three times over eight weeks. If you have not received a phone call or an email, let somebody on staff know. Or, yeah, if you don't, let us know. Um, We tried to catch everyone, but we probably missed some people. Now, quickly pass the piece. Luckily, there aren't any snacks, so really you only have water and coffee. But quickly say hello to one another. Uh, Run to the restroom, and we'll get back in like two minutes. All right. If everyone um, would come back to the middle, and we'll get started. Um, Yeah, great job on having a shorter piece. Proud of you. (laughs) Sorry. Um, Okay. So I love a good question. If you know me, you know that about me. I'm not sure that there can ever be enough questions with the caveat that James and I don't have kids yet, so I'm sure my opinion of this might change (laughs) if we ever do. But for now, I still have questions. And I find it liberating and important to ask the questions that scare us. To wake up at 3 a.m., to certain questions and dare to let them rise within us. One question I was afraid to let rise um, for quite some time, really, is what is the church for? I mean, I make my living as a pastor, so it's a bit scary of a question. But once that question surfaced and I finally asked it, I found the question to become even more pointed. What is this church, Emmaus Way, for? Why church in Durham at this particular place and time? Part of this question, I think, stems from the tenor of our city, state, country, and world. Part of it comes from living in what could be understood as a progressive city filled with folks doing radical work that don't necessarily seem to have a need or an understanding for yet another church. Part of it comes from different readings, including our summer book studies, And a large part arises over the past really nine months to a year from multiple voices within this community who have revealed deep hopes, desires, and possibility alongside deep angst and frustration at what it means to be human in this place and time of our world. People wondering, what is this all for? Mere superficiality and the status quo or something more. Ever since our capitalism series, and really even before then, 
given the essence of who we, I think, as Emmaus Way are, it seems we've been wrestling in even more poignant, pointed ways around the deep whys of life, the great joy and tragedy, like the joy of throwing water balloons. (laughs) Anyone can run out now if you would like. And given all the brokenness and feelings of inadequacy or not quite enoughness within us and in this world, this question kept arising. If we really are a community captivated by the gospel, and if maybe, just maybe, the spirit of God is still moving at work in the world, then how do we respond? How do we live? Frederick Buechner, a good while ago, put it this way. We live in a broken world, a world shattered by wars, famine, political upheaval. We are citizens of a nation that in all its history has perhaps never been so dramatically confronted as it is now by its brokenness. A nation whose streets are littered by the bodies of the homeless and where the gap between the rich and the poor widens every year. A nation that continues to spend billions on defense when what we need most to defend ourselves against our poverty, illiteracy, and the despair that breeds crime and addiction. As for the church, no one knows better than the church itself all the ways it too is broken. Just as no one knows better than you and I the brokenness of our own lives. The world, though, is not ultimately just brokenness because as Jesus tells us, the world has the kingdom buried in it like a treasure buried in a field like leaven working in dough, like a seed germinating in the earth, like whatever it was in the heart of the prodigal son. But how do we come be a part of the kingdom in the here and now? What field must we we go search? How many loaves of bread must we make rise? Where do we plant seeds? Where does God hope we return? Into my angst and questions and wonderings, I read Barking to the Choir this summer by Father Gregory Boyle, who says, God knows that we just keep waiting for the kingdom to show up, just around the bend. Turns out, it is the bend, just around the corner. The kingdom is the corner. What if Father G is right? What if we're already living in the corner, living into parts of the kingdom We just aren't in a positionality to notice, to witness, to see the kingdom, to really see one another and tell the truth about it. Because we're held captive to scarcity, individuality, and markets, keeping us from recognizing God's abundance, the very corner in which we stand. Pierre Bordeaux contends, we are always competitively positioning ourselves relative to others in social space. This positioning is affected using relative amounts of capital at our disposal, compromise of economic, cultural, social, and symbolic capital. And the relative importance of each aspect of our overall capital is assigned by us and endorsed or disputed by others. In what ways then Does our preoccupation with our capital keep us from really showing up, really bearing witness, really seeing, really being in kinship? In what ways must we break cycles of capital to show up and 
remove ourselves from languishing isolation? What if living into the corner, living into the kingdom, being a community captivated by the gospel, being a church that matters, simply means stopping the competitive positionality of ourselves? What if it simply means a fierce determination to see the other, bear witness to what is, and embody kinship in such a way to lift each other out of our languishing isolation and rekindle a determination to show up, recognizing there is no perfect way, but showing up is simply enough. Bearing witness, reclaiming kinship, comes from everybody, everything, and in order for it to come from everybody, everything, it means we must share our experiences. It's a valuable way to process an experience, to obtain empathy and support, to lighten our emotional load via sharing it with the witness and obtain catharsis. We bear witness to one another through our writing, through art, and by simply being with others. In legal terms, witness is derived from a root meaning to bear in mind, to remember. A witness in this light can be defined as one who has knowledge of something by recollection and experience and who can tell about it accurately. By this definition, we are all witnesses bound in kinship for one another, whether or not by choice. And throughout the Gospels, Jesus did this over and over again. He bore witness. He reclaimed kinship. He broke the constructs of economic, cultural, social, symbolic capital to show up, to see, to create new covenants. And what he invited the disciples into and what they didn't quite get was simply to bear witness to God, to the inbreaking kingdom, to the neighbor, to the stranger, to one another, to injustice, to love, to light, to hardship, to joy, to pain, in complex, yet also simple, profound ways. Not necessarily to fix, but to merely show up, move one step closer toward kinship. One image that pops into mind of bearing witness from this week is of a woman who, if you're friends with Brandon Bain on Facebook, you probably saw this photo. It's of a student who, next to a man waving a Confederate flag by the place where Silent Sam once stood, she, beside him, stood with a homemade poster, not saying anything. But on this poster had tally marks of all the persons lynched in the former Confederate states. 3,698 tally marks. So that's what we're gonna look at tonight in our text, are places where we see bearing witness. Now our text is an account of a Passover meal, a meal in and of itself bearing witness to what God had already done in liberating God's chosen out of Egypt. And we're entering a scene filled with moments of folks showing up on a myriad of levels individual, communal, structural, political, lifting each other, some might say, out of languishing isolation 
while also not totally knowing what's going on, yet showing up anyway. So would someone read the text for us? Luke 22. Then come the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover meal for us, that we may eat it. They asked him, Where do you want us to make preparations for it? Listen, he said to them, When you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house he enters, and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, already furnished. Make preparations for us there. So they went and found everything as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover meal. When the hour came, he took his place at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same with the cup after supper, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But see, the one who betrays me is with me, and his hand is on the table. For the Son of Man is going as it has been determined. But woe to that one by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to ask one another which one of them it could be and who would do this. Thanks so much, Jim. So who, who's bearing witness in this text? Where do you see bearing witness? Folks showing up. Where do you see people leaning into kinship? Perhaps it's a complex image of bearing witness or tension within. Well, they're living together rather than with their families. Yeah. They're expressing kinship with each other, choosing to have Passover with themselves rather, with one another rather than their families. Yeah, thanks for that. What else? One of my favorites is the man with the jar, right? The jug of water. Can you imagine, like, I guess, I don't know, like, did Jesus come to him beforehand and was like, hey, so I need you. You know, right? Was it a setup or did he just know? And the fact, right, that these folks are like, hey, um, can, we, uh, can you take us to some house? And he does it. Can you imagine what his act in and of, of itself was bearing witness, but also what he experienced through that and what he might tell after? Yeah, he just showed up. Others, where do you see bearing witness? Or perhaps missed chances. Uh, 
the owner of the house, yeah. We don't know if they're friends or strangers or that he opened up his home to this motley crew. Something about this mission of when the hour claimed he came, he took his place at the table of apostles with them and said to them, I eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Yeah. Right? And, and the disciples continually misunderstanding yep. Jesus, and here he is again. We're all, I've gathered you all together so we eat together yeah. before my suffer. Yeah. It's yeah. like a force force majeure into, yeah. into right. The disciples are almost like preoccupied, right, by their positionality and location within this moment and relationship to Jesus that they couldn't even pause for a moment to really see what was unfolding. Yeah. So I wonder about this preparation of the Passover meal. Hmm. Um, so he's talking to Peter and John. I have a hard time believing that Peter and John prepared the meal. Yeah, so what, yeah, the women. Where are the women? Yeah, yeah the women yeah. bearing witness to this act, yes. to this meal, to these people. Yes, very much so. Those behind the scenes bearing witness, reclaiming kinship that we don't see. Yeah. Well, I've always thought it was fascinating that Jesus took the Passover, which is this rooted in, in the history of the Jews, this, this root ritual and instituted communion in it, that just this... The new covenant. The new covenant, mm -hmm. which is kind of born out of the old covenant. So in a way, he's claiming kinship with the whole history Very of the much so. all the Jews by doing this. Yeah. He could have just had a regular dinner and instituted the new covenant yeah. there. But choosing... Yeah, to claim kinship. Yeah. Very much so. To his people, right? Mm -hmm. Say, yeah. Thanks for that. So in this text, there definitely is bearing witness and reclaiming kinship. It incurs in part, right, in this upper room. But what I really like about this text is that it goes beyond the upper room. In the words of one um, Nicaraguan scholar, Yvonne, it's the continuous daily communion everywhere that the upper room began, in the factory, in the office, where one may be earning a living. That's the true communion that's going to produce change. All the products of the earth and of human work have to come from everybody for us to have a new society and for us to drink that new wine of the new covenant. As many of you mentioned, bearing witness, reclaiming kinship is in fact in this passage. It is layered and complex. It happens, some of it in public space, others times in private space. So we mentioned the person with the jug bears witness, the person who offered his home or her home or witness. Disciples bear witness to Jesus. They show up, and Jesus to them. And though they don't totally know it yet, the disciples, by Jesus talking about his imminent suffering, are invited to bear witness to what the powers of the status quo 
and the evil of the state are about to do. But they're too occupied, I think, and too distracted by their own personal social capital in that situation to recognize it as such. And ultimately, as Gail reminded us, we see the invitation to bear witness to a new covenant, a new way of being in kinship that is deeply rooted in the past and in history to one another and to God. To bear witness in this moment through the breaking of bread and the pouring of wine to what God was and is still doing through Jesus. But what does this all mean for us though, right? I've talked about why I kind of think this is important and how I got here. But what do you think bearing witness, reclaiming kinship means for us as people of faith, as Emmaus way, as humans occupying this space and time? What does it mean for you? Where do you see bearing witness in your life? Where is it absent? What are you desiring from bearing witness and reclaiming kinship? Or did you get the email I sent about an invitation, expected invitation and think our pastor has lost her mind, which is also <laughs> could be true. But what does this all mean? Like bearing witness, to say that we are going to be a people to bear witness and reclaim kinship. What anxieties, hopes, fears, what's with that, comes with that? In, in, in the statement bearing witness, I think we hear it with a certain expectation that it means bearing witness to the goodness of God. Mm-hmm. But there's also a bearing witness to crap that happens. Yes, very much so. And, um, and that's happening even in this story. You know, there's this cloud over the whole evening, and this ominous person whose hand is on the table, um, which is also bearing witness of, if you will, an evil that is about to happen. Um, so I, I say that as a preface that when I, I feel like being coming together is bearing witness in this day and this society. Many. Very few people do this. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people who don't do this. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's not convenient. Yeah. And um, it says something that we would disrupt our Sundays to come and be together. And um, part of the reason I come to such a gathering I don't think about it so much as my bearing witness. I come to receive the witness that is born. Um, To to be with those who gather here, to receive a word. I have no idea what that word's going to be, but inevitably I leave with a word. Thanks, Jim. I think that it is bearing witness not just to the good, but the crap and the evil and the hard. And bearing, I think part right, showing up, not um, assuming, right, that you are the sole agent and whatever, right, the, if you want to think about it, like as an exchange or 
but that you too receive, kind of give and receive through the bearing of witness. I agree. Yeah. And I think really for me, if I'm being honest, the questions of um, kind of what is the church for, um, a lot of it for me simultaneously happened. Um, a lot of these questions are bubbling up when Soren got sick. And in thinking that the way this church came and continues to come around, not only the Williams, but so many people in crisis, and the way we um, hold space for people, that, that that mattered? And what does it mean to do it a bit more intentionally on like more layers? Um, so yeah, thanks, Jim. Others, what does this all mean? What do you think about bearing witness? Yeah, Brian? Thanks, Brian. Yeah. What has you nervous? Because to Jim's point, bearing witness, reclaiming kinship, kind of by, uh, I didn't want this to be an afterthought, right? Like, I think in many ways, we uh, perhaps, bearing witness, reclaiming kinship, um, sometimes can be an afterthought, or at least it can be for me. Um, and I often struggle, going back to Suze's song, the last song, I'm really glad you brought it to Emmaus Way, but of this notion that I'm doing it by myself, or would there be someone else to go with me, right? Would there be someone else to do this crazy thing, to love and be with in such a way, on so many levels, that it costs something, right? It asks something of us. Um, and so, yeah, what are fears or anxieties about this theme, this way of being, if any? I think there's always the fear of doing it wrong. Yeah. That, you know, if you're going to show up for something, it's like, well, I don't know. I mean, am I going to stick out? Am I going to say the yeah. wrong thing? Am I going to... Yeah. Be in the wrong place or whatever. Yeah. And being willing to kind of back off that, which was gets to something I was thinking of from from some of the earlier comments. Is I think a, a big part of bearing witness to me is it's not only just 
the showing up and you know expressing support or, or whatever it changes me yeah very much so I mean, there's some level of bearing witness of showing up to a Durham can meeting mm -hmm. but I'm a different person from having sat in a room of yeah. hundreds of people yeah. demanding that things change yeah. or just seeing the passion in the room yeah. um, and lots of examples and bringing dinner to the Williams yes as an act of service to them but sitting on their back porch and praying for them or whatever also changes me. Yeah, very much so. Thanks for that, Phil. And I think, right, I think that we, what I find so liberating about, as I was rereading the Gospels this summer and looking at Jesus and Jesus at work and this invitation to bear witness, is in, we live in a society where we are expected to do things right, right, and well. And that's not what, I don't think that that's the invitation, right? Like, we don't have to show up in the perfect way. But what does it mean to just say, yeah, we're going to show up to a can thing, or we're going to show up to a vigil and feel probably oddly uncomfortable in some of them, but we're going to be there to honor and be with the family of the person who was murdered. Um, and so I know for me, um, and perhaps for many of you, kind of getting back to Bordeaux, like I'm constantly, part of why I don't, I think necessarily, uh, want to lean into bearing witness and reclaiming kinship, is I'm worried about doing it wrong, and then therefore I become preoccupied by how I might look or how I might be perceived um, and what's at stake for me um, by putting, by going to a certain place or being with certain people or just being with one another. But like as a pastor, what does it mean to like be truly vulnerable and honest whenever I'm, it's generally not what people want in a pastor, right? Or in a person, right? We don't really want our brokenness. We don't really want one another's brokenness to be all out there. But what, if, what does it mean if we say, yeah, actually, like, I'm going through hell, as Brian so powerfully and prophetically said tonight. And rather than being like, oh, I'm sorry, just like showing up and listening about the hell that and like hell he's walking through and saying, you know what, I've been through hell or I'm in hell right now too. Um, I'm not totally sure, right, I have the answer to these questions. I'm not totally sure that I have the right way that we as a community are going to engage in bearing witness, reclaiming kinship this year. In fact, I still have far more questions than answers. But I've decided, I think, really because of the Spirit, to place a stake in bearing witness, reclaiming kinship, this year at Emmaus Way, as your pastor, and I'm inviting you in, wanting it to be a way that we are church not as ritual, 
but as Jesus' invitation of subversive possibility. A way to lean into the corner of the kingdom of God and be in this world and be with one another, not perfectly, but honestly, in this place and time. In the words of Father G, yet again, I do love the man. We always seem to be faced with this choice, to save the world or savor it. I want to propose that savoring is better, and that when we seek to save and contribute and give back and rescue folks and even make a difference, then it is all about you and the world stays stuck. The good news, of course, is that when we choose to savor the world, it gets saved. Don't set out to change the world. Set out to wonder how people are doing. Bearing witness, reclaiming kinship, invites us to set out to wonder how people are doing. It's an invitation to savor, to show up this year. Bearing witness, reclaiming kinship doesn't invite us to fix, to have all the answers, or to solve all the problems. It's not even an invitation to have all the critiques to how capital binds us, but it just invites us to a liberation that can come from we being able to free ourselves, even just a bit, from the economic, cultural, social, symbolic capital to which we are bound. Bearing witness, reclaiming kinship, asks not for perfection or having it all together, but merely leaning into what it means to be human in this space and time, and what it means to be the church, this Emmaus way, to be beloved community in such a way that it lifts us up out of isolation. Bearing witness, reclaiming kinship, invites us to open our eyes and to see the corner, to show up to God, to the gospel, to our neighbor, to the stranger, to one another, to systemic injustice, to love, to light, to hardship, to joy, to pain, in our lives and in our world. It asks us to live and be in some complex, yet also some simple, profound ways intentionally, letting go of what we know and honoring what exists. Bearing witness, reclaiming kinship invites us to begin from the point of our brokenness, to begin there and the world's pain, bringing all our questions and uncertainties and doubt, all our feelings of inadequacy and wonderings of enoughness, all the while reminding us to trust in the same spirit of God, who was at work with Jesus and the disciples in that upper room, for that same spirit is still at work with us now, ever redeeming, inviting us in. Bearing witness, reclaiming kinship, isn't necessarily going to be easy, but I have a sense it's going to be full of beauty, power, possibility, and continued questioning. Thanks be to God.
And took a long slow Cross that wide gray gold The awful rowing toward God On a faraway shore Left everybody else Took bread and wine And no one to bless Took no photograph So there's no one to miss Forgive me, daughter, for I have said The awful rowing toward God Got myself lost, got myself up a creek Got into the woods, gotta get myself free I can't worry about you when I'm worried about me She's sweating blood, but won't call out for help Your arms will get tired just from kicking yourself Sun in your eyes and the ache in your throat Oh, there's nowhere to hide And an open boat And for all your precious knowing There's no other life but the awful road They buried me and the baby together The awful rowing toward God I grew and I strained at the choke of the tether They'd listen meals and a show of my best Found no sleep in the bed where they laid me to rest She's sweating blood but won't call out for help Your arms will get tired just from kicking yourself There's no other life but the awful rowing The awful rowing The worst part is knowing I'll never arrive 
One thing I really like about this last song uh, that I hear is a Emmaus Way staple. Um, is that one of the things that we do in church is through liturgy we practice the motions of moving through the world. Um, we feed each other and we share the peace of Christ. Um, and I like the way that this song reminds us that the things that we practice in this room, in church, are the very, very simple actions. They are the only things required of us when we go out into the world to offer the peace of Christ to one another. Though we're strangers, still I love you I love you more than your mask And you know you have to trust this to be true And I know that's much to ask Lay down your fears come join this feast he has called us here you and me peace rain down from heaven little pieces of the sky little keepers of the promise on the souls the straw has dried in his blood and in his body in this bread and in this wine Peace to you The peace of Christ to you in these lonely hearts And though our blindness separates us Still his light shines in the dark And his outstretched arms Still strong enough to reach Behind these prison bars to set us free So may peace rain down from heaven Little pieces of the sky Little keepers of the promise On these souls the drought has dried In his blood and in his body In his bread and in his wine Peace of Christ to you. So may peace rain down from heaven, little pieces 
on the souls that strout has dried In his blood and in his body In the bread and in this wine Peace to you The peace of Christ to you So I missed the rehearsal of that last one, and I am floored by, yeah, Rich Mullins could have just showed right up and slipped right <laughs> into that aesthetic universe you guys created. He would have been right at home. Beautiful. Bearing witness to the aesthetic stylings of Rich Mullins. So, <laughs> a more serious note. Molly's done the hard work tonight of asking herself, me, you, all of us, an inconvenient question. At this late hour, in this place, space, we find ourselves, what is church for? What is this church for? A good question, an honest question, a hard question. A question that I know from some bracing conversation with some of you in this very room that rises quickly to the surface for us these days. Some of us more than others, I'm sure, according to our own histories among the people of God, our peculiar histories, but more and more persistently, it seems to be right there, haunting, unsettling, needling, inviting, seeking us out, entwined as we are with an empire whose fall seems imminent, almost palpable, asking, what is this really worth? What can we still meaningfully bear witness to? Why lean into this kinship now? Why keep showing up? And for this community, questions like that tend to land us back at the table, a practice that we've made the center not just of our gathered worship, but our entire identity. And the recurring theme in all our self-narration, the basis of our commitment to each other for a community of church refugees and misfits, a cohort thoroughly modeled in our religious backgrounds, preferences, sensitivities, we've delighted in this table as the thing we can call ours, share equally in, in some small way agree upon, the place we can always find each other again. And it's been that place and it's struggled to continue becoming that place even when we sometimes wonder if it's as open as it could be, as welcoming as we might imagine. And so, I come to invite you to this table one more time, knowing that if we're going to ask the question, what is Emmaus way for, we might also be asking the question, what is this table for? This most churchly of rituals, calling to us across violent Christian centuries, declaring miracles long past, yet to be seen by us, described in ancient autographs most of us cannot read. This most simple of the practices so easily bent to our best hopes, comfortably nestled amidst all we've left done and undone. For the too many of us languishing between what we hoped would be and what is, weeping for all the kids. What's really on offer here behind me tonight? What is this table for? 
That's a hard question too. And I wouldn't imagine to ask it for anyone else, but if no one asks, then no one answers, so I'm asking it for myself here tonight, and I'm saying to y'all, in full honesty, I think just maybe it still might be everything we ever said it was. I think it might be the kind of unlikely space where bearing witness takes root. I believe it might actually be the kind of practice that could pull us kicking and screaming out of our languishing isolation. I wonder if it might be the gateway to reclaiming the kinship we've almost forgotten to hope for. At a table like this, I think we still may catch some glimpse of an answer that's kept us coming back here even while we were asking what's it all for. While we've been paralyzed by the tug of fear and wrapped up in our prophetic analysis of falling empires, this table may have been, still, is now, the revelation right in front of us. Whispering good news of a God more with us, more present for us, speaking an unlikely message in a language we're still learning to understand. Little children. You so sick and tired of trying to make all the pieces fit, so practiced at measuring our right place among our brothers and sisters, so skilled at parsing solutions, so tenderly nursing my own guilt, so ready to give up on what I desperately want for the pale, thin thing that wants me. Working so hard to save this world, you who are broken, you who will never be enough. This is my table set for you. Come and savor what is rising even now. Come be free of what you know. Bear witness to what exists. All of you come and be one as they always meant you to be one. Every once in a while, I think I can just barely hear that voice whispering that hope against the din of our scarce, noisy economy and inviting us into the hallway outside the door we're still figuring out how to open, into the corner that is the kingdom, teaching us to show up and live in hallways and corners and delight in the brothers and sisters we find there. I think this table is one of those thin spaces where that voice is most audible, where the voice, sense, spirit, presence of God is somehow more discernible. What is this table for? I think it's an invitation to a place of welcome and abundance and affirmation and joy that could be in this practice tonight, that could be in the kinship of these people here, but also at all the tables we find ourselves and the possibility of kinship with all the people around all those tables, family, neighborhood, political, vocational, whatever they be. Into joy, yes, and also into a long slog toward the God we did not expect. A long rowing we well may never finish, a journey we cannot, may not, will never have to travel alone. And so maybe tonight, as we lean into a year of witness and kinship, it's a bit like we've been up all night, our eyes are tired, there's just enough light to see, and unsettled about where we are, confused about where we're headed, unsure of what we might do next, we find ourselves with the sense that where we've been in every way is a place we desperately need to get past. And I'm not sure the best parts of me are going to survive here a lot longer. I got to get out of here and I swear I would leave right now. But I'm not going to be able to unless you come with me. And I think this table is for the first step. 
and I think this table is for finding the one more you need to go with you, and I think this table is for finding and grappling with a God whose good news, whose kinship finds us and declares peace raining down from heaven in spite of all our masks, behind every one of our insecurities, and showing up in ways and binding us together in ways that we would not have anticipated. I think this table is that. I think it is becoming that. And that's what I invite you to tonight. If you haven't been with us before, we like to pour wine and juice for each other and break bread or a gluten-free cracker for each other saying the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you, the love and light of God for you, this table becoming all tables, connecting us together in ways that we're still yet learning to love and discern. Welcome to this table. Welcome to this year of bearing witness, reclaiming kinship.